0: Together. We're finishing Paul's letter to Philemon today, so if you want to open in your scripture to that, if you're joining us on the stream and uh, you don't have your own personal copy of the scriptures, there's a link there. It's called Bible Gateway. You can click it and then put into the search engine Philemon. It's a personal name, Philemon, uh, and uh, it will take you to a letter. There are no chapters in that letter. Uh, A very small letter at the end of the New Testament that Paul wrote to the person whose name is attributed to that. So this morning we are concluding uh, our short series on Philemon. And then beginning next week we begin our Advent uh, season of messages as we celebrate uh, the fulfillment uh, uh, of the promises uh, in In the first advent, the first coming of Christ, and anticipate his return uh, as well. But today we are in Philemon. and I am going to read beginning in verse twenty one the concluding remarks uh, of the letter, but my comments are not restricted to that, as you'll see in a moment. but we will focus there, beginning in verse twenty one and then um, and then finish our journey together in Paul's letter to Philemon. Let me pray, and then I'll read beginning in verse 21. Father, thank you for this letter and the joy it has been for us as a church to consider these these verses together, our interaction um, of them, uh, both here on Sundays in our smaller group ministry settings, our life groups, uh, and in our conversations outside of either of those context speaks to the living hope and gracious truths that are found here uh, for, for the believer in Christ and for the, for the church family that Christ forms. Um, so we pray, Lord, that that would again be our experience today. Um, Help us, Lord, help me in light of my sluggishness and fatigue from a full week to not only be alert and attentive to what the Spirit is saying from these verses, but to to my own heart and what you're bringing to the surface of it, that I might engage you, my gracious shepherd. Um, We might engage you, uh, the the gracious head of this church, uh, as you seek and continue Uh, to make much of your name through our relationships that are transformed by the grace that we have received. So lead us now, we pray, in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Paul's letter to Philemon, beginning in verse 21. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit no subject is more central to the christian life than the subject of god's forgiveness it is the greatest gift he gives us for all who fall short of the glory of god and in a broken world such as ours in a weary world as my devotional describes it. If we're to love our neighbors as ourselves, we must understand both why do we forgive and how do we forgive, and those fingerprints, if you will, of true forgiveness. So that's where I'm aiming this message um, I'm not sure of the title projected behind me, it, it, it should have been Onesimus, but I'm looking at this through uh, this lens of extending forgiveness, and we're going to see both in our letter here, but also in uh, as we consider and reflect on uh, the grace that is spoken of uh, in verse 3, and in the concluding verse, verse 25, uh, it is the basis of extending forgiveness both God towards us and us towards one another. So my main point this morning is in Christ, we're called to extend forgiveness in order to love one another as Christ loves us. We are called to extend forgiveness in order to love one another as Christ loves us. So let's remind ourselves Briefly again, one final time, the background of this letter. Uh, This is a letter, as it opens in verse 1, written by Paul the Apostle to Philemon, uh, whom Paul calls his beloved fellow worker, and other names there mentioned. And verse 2 the church in his house. It also introduces us to a man named Onesimus, whose name we read for the first time uh, in verse 10, and is the subject of this personal letter of Paul to Philemon. Uh, What do all three of these individuals have in common in this letter? All three of these individuals, Paul the Apostle, Philemon... Uh, His fellow worker who lives in the city of Colossae, it says that the church is in his house, so he appears to be a wealthy gentleman. It's a small church so that he can gather the church there uh, together in his home. And Onesimus, his bondservant or slave, they all know the grace of God. They all have experienced the grace of God. And they all have been brought together into a new community, what I'm calling a family in this church in Colossae. And so Paul writes a letter to Philemon, a Christian believer, a leader perhaps in the church there. And in writing this letter to Philemon, he introduces us to Onesimus, a fellow Christian who was Philemon's slave. And it is that reality that Paul is going to tackle and has tackled in this letter because what he is desiring to show Philemon and God by the Spirit and preserving us, show us, is how does the good news of the grace of God that we have received through faith in Jesus Christ, how does the good news impact this situation in such a way that forgiveness is demonstrated to all? Uh, in our home, and we don't. If you've been in our home, and if you haven't, let us know. We we can have you in. You can meet Lexi. We have, in certain places, brass light switch plates. It's very technical. Brass light switch plates. We also have some plastic light switch plates, but we have some brass light switch plates. So, if you can imagine with me for a moment a brass light switch plate, then you can also imagine the fingerprints that are seen on brass light switch plates when seven people share a space for four days during the Thanksgiving holiday. I'm not always sure what is the substance that is the residue on the brass light switch plates, but no one seems to notice the fingerprints on the brass light switch plates except for me. And it does beg the question, because I'm a curious fellow, who is smudging the plates? Is it when they wash their hands and their hands aren't completely dry, that either they're smudging the plate? Or are they cleaning their fingers after they've just eaten some turkey and they're smudging the plates? Or they've just held Lexi, our beloved 11-year-old toy poodle? That there's, I don't know. But it's inescapable. The fingerprints of the Evans clan is on our brass light Switch plates. The question Paul is asking us is are the fingerprints of forgiveness on the spiritual light switch plates of your church and mine? Because if they are, we can see them. They're visible. It's unmistakable. And when they're not, People see them too, just like I notice in our house. Greasy fingerprints on brass light switch plates. So let's consider what are the fingerprints of forgiveness in this letter, and then ask ourselves, are those fingerprints evident in your relationships. Because if they are, they are they are, ultimately the fingerprints of Christ. Having transformed your life and mine in our relationships when we've been wronged, when we've been offended, when we've suffered loss, and by God's grace and God's grace alone, but through the work and effort and prayer and patience it requires, forgiveness, the gift of it, and the practice of it has been Make no mistake, forgiveness is not a feeling. Just ask anyone who forgives others regularly. It's not a feeling. Unlike the song, it doesn't wait on a feeling. It's something far better, far deeper, and more life-giving than that. So let's look at the passage. Paul is writing to Philemon, and my first point this morning is that the grace of God that he has received through Christ compels him to be a forgiving person. And so my first point is grace. Christ's grace compels us to be a forgiving people too. And it is only possible, it's only possible to forgive someone if the grace of God is being activated and drawn on and working in you for me and you to forgive another as well. In Paul's companion letter, which he sent with Tychicus, his messenger from his house arrest there in Rome, with with the letter to Philemon back to Colossae, his letter to Colossians said this, which we looked at this summer Colossians 3, verse 12 and 13. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. He's speaking of the gathered believers there in Colossae, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Let's read verse 13 again. Forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, you so you must also forgive so if the grace of god compels us to be a forgiving people how do we forgive how do you forgive you're in church you're a christian you've been forgiven of your sins and and you like me go through a day or a week or a year or a season and someone has done you wrong or in the church or someone has offended you. How do we forgive a person? And what makes it difficult is that the Bible isn't a dictionary. There's no definition of forgiveness. I looked. But I found a simple description. And it's right there in the verse. And it's repeated in our New Testament. This is what forgiveness is. Forgive as Christ forgave you. That's how we forgive. Forgive as Christ forgave you. So let's think about that. How does Christ forgive me, Bauer Evans, who believes that Jesus Christ, the baby born in Bethlehem, whose birth we celebrate during this Advent season, who lived the perfect life as an obedient son to his father, as our representative, a loving life, an obedient life, a compassionate life, and who in our place offered himself as an adult, as the Lamb of God, our substitute on the cross. In order that we might be forgiven of all our sins, he took our place he took he took our punishment he received what we deserved and in dying and being buried and now raised and exalted to the highest place to all who confess his name as Lord, to all who surrender their lives to him as the perfect savior, to all who repent, that's the word, have a change of mind and a change of direction, and a change of heart and say to Jesus by a work of the spirit's grace in a heart, Jesus save me from my sins. What does he do? He forgives us fully fully. It's not an installment plan. He forgives us freely. It's received by faith as a gift. So full forgiveness do we receive, and then freely by faith. Jesus, I do you remember, those of you that have put your trust in Christ, do you remember the moment when your eyes were opened, spiritual eyes, maybe your physical eyes, but your heart, there was a change and your mind. was as if the, all the arguments that you had raised up against God, all of the rebelliousness, all of the, all of the telling God what he should do or whatever your conception, and now you are like, Lord, I surrender. Forgive me. Pour out your mercy upon me. Cleanse me. Wash me. It was fully given to us. It was freely given to us. And if you're a Christian like me, you have prayed for God to forgive you often because now you become aware of all the times that you don't do what you want to do or you do what you said you wanted to do, you know. I mean, it's a small sin, but it it reveals my heart. Bounding in Thanksgiving this week, a driver in Attleboro nearly, nearly t-boned me. I was furious. I am the safest driver in Attleboro. I drive the speed limit on Park Street. I don't know if it's a Black Friday sale that. This person was summoned to, but that SUV came out of one avenue, and it was clearly halfway in the road. And I had to swerve like that, and the driver was not looking in my direction. They were looking the other way. And I slammed on my horn, and I drove, because I'm very skillful as a driver, around. <laughs> but in my heart, in my heart, I was furious. And there, to my shame, there were certain hand motions in my heart that were beginning to come into focus. And I began to think, I don't deserve this. I'm a safe driver. This car is paid for. I'm not paying for a wreck. This could hospital. I mean, it's this whole litany. And so I've got a mile home and I'm just steaming. And then I pull in it and then this light bulb goes off, Jim. Uh, you have to give a message on forgiveness tomorrow. (laughs) Oh, have you ever found unplanned, unexpected moments of anger where for reasons unbeknownst to you, you feel like you've been wrongfully wronged and your first thought, and your second thought, and your third thought, and your fifth thought is not, hmm, God's at work in all things providentially. This may be an opportunity to extend forgiveness. Because the reality is, if you can allow the analogy, Jesus does not view you or me as the safest driver in his kingdom, not literally. But we say things and do things and don't do things and don't say things all the time that impact other people. Just like pulling a car out on Black Friday and putting at risk other people. And he says when we come to him, I forgive you fully, freely, completely. That's why we celebrate communion next Sunday. We need forgiveness. That's what it means to forgive. This is hard. This takes work. As Christ has forgiven us, Paul tells the Colossians, and as Paul is mentoring and discipling and writing very personally to Philemon, you need to forgive Onesimus who has wronged you. I can hear Philemon. Where do I get the motivation to do that? Where do I get the power to do that? Where do I get the picture to do that? It's Christ. It's Christ. It's The grace, Paul says, that was given to you and the peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. It's the grace, verse 25, of the Lord Jesus Christ with your spirit, speaking of an ongoing presence. Onesimus has been changed by this grace. He's now a Christian. Philemon, you've been changed by this grace. The apostle Paul has been changed by this grace grace, it, this gift that's held out to us by faith, full, free, repeated, often. If you're not a Christian and you're listening to me via the stream, or maybe you're flipping this on as a recording later on, do you at times sense grace? guilt. Do you, after a holiday, in an honest moment, a self-reflective motive, realize or have a longing for forgiveness? Maybe you were in an argument with a family member during the big meal or Maybe before and after the meal, there was just an avoidance strategy by you because of seething resentments or unreconciled offenses or you disagreed over what you were going to watch on the big screen, but really, you didn't really like the people. Have you found that the cultural coaching on self-forgiveness or the forgiveness therapies that the world offers to be insufficient. We would say that guilt is a right impulse if we are guilty. And we would say as Christians that we are unable to bring about the forgiveness that we need for our guilt but through Christ alone. Which he has provided as a gift. And it is from that gift that we receive by faith in him. It's a real gift that we can then gift to others as we forgive them. See, I'm often told when I'm in discussions with people about the church or about Christianity... That Christians think they're perfect people. And I know some that think that, but I would say the majority, the overwhelming majority do not. They are imperfect people whom have been forgiven by, wait for it, a perfect Savior. And so what I'm saying as a Christian is not that I'm a Perfect Christian. Oh, by far not. If you had put my TV behind my head after that accident almost ago, you would not have seen Christ like behavior. I'm an imperfect person, but I have a perfect Savior so I can bring to Him my guilt. And through faith in Him, I am cleansed, I am free, I rejoice. And it brings tears to my eyes. You, apart from Christ, long for that too. Your friends long for that. And that is why, as a Christian, I am not allowed to hold grudges. That is why, as a Christian, I am forbidden for harboring bitterness and unforgiveness because I have the opportunity to tell a different story, the better story of a perfect king in his kingdom by extending forgiveness, as Paul says in verse 18 of this letter, by extending forgiveness and absorbing the cost of that forgiveness when you've wronged me because he has absorbed the cost of mine. I invite you. I invite you to find in him what you long for and to be released from the guilt that you have become aware from, not by seeking to be a perfect Christian or religious person, but by putting your faith and trust in the perfect Savior whose birth we celebrate, who freely forgives imperfect people like me and you, Because he has paid the price. He has died and been raised again. And because he has, we can forgive too. So as I close the message, I want to read verse 18 again from Philemon. And then look again at what are the fingerprints of forgiveness. And I want to conclude by simply asking us a simple question so that we can apply this letter to me. Verse 17, Philemon, if you consider me your partner, receive him. In other words, Paul is sending Onesimus, this runaway slave, that Paul and the providence of God and the mystery of God's, Direction and, and ordering of Onesimus' affairs. Thousands of miles away, Onesimus has come to Paul's prison cell and he has become a Christian. So he writes Onesimus, If you consider me your partner, he writes Philemon, excuse me, receive Onesimus as you would receive me. He's called him earlier. His child, verse 10, I appeal to you for my child, whose father I became in my imprisonment, meaning Onesimus has become a Christian. Praise the Lord. He's been forgiven. His guilt has been removed. The punishment due him has been received in Christ, and he now has a new identity, receive him as you would receive me if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Yes, brother, verse 20, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. So Paul, seeking to continue to pastor Philemon, did you see what he just did? He just told Philemon, Philemon, you're a Christian like me, but you're not a perfect Christian because I'm sending you back someone who's wronged you. And I think you will be tempted to be angry with him. See, in that day, right, in the Greco-Roman world, and I'm clearly not a Greco-Roman scholar, although I love history and I The scholars say maybe a third, if not half, of those in the Roman Empire were slaves. They were were enslaved due to a number of factors. Prisoners of war. Uh, They voluntarily put themselves into some type of slavery, indentured servanthood because of debt. Uh, Children who were orphaned were taken in by families. Uh, and made slaves. Um, It was not a race-based slavery as it was here in this country. And slaves, although limited, had rights and privileges in the Roman Empire that regulated the behavior of how a Roman citizen should conduct himself. Unlike our experience with slavery in this country, despicable and wicked as it was, the slave had no rights, no opportunity for freedom. Roman slaves did. They could purchase their slavery. And we know in the, in the Old Testament, a slave of a Jewish family, after seven years, was freed. It was, the, it was the year of Jubilee. But you were allowed to punish a slave who ran away. And we aren't told what the punishment was, but it doesn't sound like it was pleasant. So Onesimus would have been rightly punished by Philemon. And Paul's sending him back. So it begs the question, Paul, are you condoning slavery? You're sending Onesimus back. And secondly, what are you telling Philemon to do in sending him back? Well, as I talked about last week, and I'll say again, Paul describes Onesimus in this letter, not only as a child in the faith and a brother in the Lord, but he's addressing him as he's addressing, I think, the other slaves in the church in Colossae as members of that church with rights and privileges that come with being a part of that church. In other words, there's an equality there in Christ. Another way to say that is that the social distinctions of the Greco-Roman world do not exist. Otherwise, how do you make sense of those statements in Colossae that say in him there is no slave or free, Greek or Scythian, Yankee or Red Sox fan? Doesn't say that, but he makes these statements about, and that's what Onesimus is. He has a new identity in Christ. So Paul is sending Onesimus back not as Philemon's slave but as a brother in Christ, a beloved brother in Christ and calling on Philemon to do something because Philemon's not a perfect Christian. I want you to forgive him. I want you to forgive him as you would forgive me, as you would receive me. Receive him confident of your obedience, verse 21. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. So the fingerprints of Paul's ministry to Philemon begins with this statement, I am sending him back to you in order that you Philemon can do the work of reconciliation with Onesimus. And if he has wronged you or if he owes you because he's stolen from you or taken some, I will repay it because reconciliation between brothers and the forgiveness that you will need to extend one another is more important to me than any social distinctions that exist in your community. The culture there may say, finally, mean you ought not to forgive. You have a right not to forgive. If you forgive him, he will do it again. If you forgive now, you will look weak, or he will take advantage of you, or your neighbors will think of you. And Paul is saying, no, as Christians, we have a better story to tell. Amen? Through the forgiveness of him and the reconciliation that you two will work through, the fingerprints of forgiveness will be on display for all. In other words, Philemon, obey Christ and forgive Onesimus as Christ has forgiven you. So here are some fingerprints as we consider how to do that and we conclude our series in Philemon. Number one, Forgiveness, when extended to others, is held out as a gift. It is not something that is earned by the offender. It's a gift. Can't be legislated. Nowhere in this letter do you feel or get the sense in the tone that Paul is manipulating. Even the authority Paul clearly has as an apostle a leader in the early church movement, the tone of this letter is far more, far more caring and, and, and warm and appealing. As Dave pointed out, on the virtue of, of love, yet for love's sake, verse 9, I appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man, that you be restored. So it's a gift, Secondly, I mentioned this earlier, it's given before it's felt. It's both a promise from me and it's practiced by me. Nowhere in this letter does, does Paul talk about his feelings of forgiveness towards Mark in verse 23 through earlier in. Acts. he was estranged from, or Mark's feelings towards him now that they're restored and serving together. And nowhere does he take up Philemon's feelings towards, or Onesimus's feelings towards Philemon. It seems to be much more grounded in this reality. As Christ has forgiven you, forgive one another, brothers. So it's more than a feeling to quote Boston. Third, The third fingerprint, it changes the way I view the other person. This may be the hardest one for me. When the fingerprints of forgiveness are visible. Meaning I'm no longer looking at you out of your debt, what you owed me, or the deficits, what you did to me. I'm looking at you, if you're a Christian, I'm looking at you through your new identity in Christ, Boy, that's really hard. But isn't it good news that in the same breath, we can say with full confidence, God looks at you in Christ too. Not out of how faithful you've been or not faithful. Not out of your sense of my obedience or lack thereof. Our identity in Christ as his beloved children is freely given. Amen? So, when we forgive someone, we're saying to them, I am not relating to you out of your past performances. I am relating to you as a person who is new in Christ. And then, lastly, it aims for reconciliation and eventually, not immediately, a restoration of trust. So the forgiveness, which is the work of reconciliation, is a gift, but the restoration of trust will need to be worked through and worked out as there is evidence of genuine repentance and fruit in light of the harm done. More could be said on that. But in extending forgiveness to others... We are imitating Christ's example towards us. Amen? And so as I conclude these application questions, may this serve you as we conclude Philemon. Confident that this work of grace continues in our lives as those who follow Christ. If we are called by Christ to extend forgiveness in order to love another as Christ loves us, Maybe consider these questions what's weak. By reflecting on my own forgiveness purchased by Christ, am I open to rebuilding a broken relationship too? In extending forgiveness and imitating Christ's example towards me and remembering how Christ has canceled my debts, am I willing to absorb some cost in order to forgive Paul, in sending Onesimus back, is sacrificing his own companionship there, alone as he is, under house arrest. He's having to work, right, in order to write this letter and have it delivered to Tychicus. We're not sure who insured the expenses for Tychicus to do that, but I suspect the Apostle Paul may have done that as he's not wanting to burden the church. And there's just ways in which he is saying to Philemon, I will absorb the cost that this relationship be healed. And then lastly, by remembering how Christ always takes the initiative towards me, what might be keeping me from taking the initiative towards another? There are several promises, as I conclude, in Scripture that speak of the forgiveness that we are given through our relationship with Jesus. I'll just read two and we'll conclude with this. But what a precious, precious reminder that in extending forgiveness to another, we do so on the basis of the grace given to us and the love shown us and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us to make us more like Christ. 1 John 1, seven through nine. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sin. If we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Fully, freely, repeatedly often. Isaiah 1, verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. One more. Psalm 86, verse 5. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding to all who call upon you. Let's pray. Lord, we we live in a world, a weary world that struggles under the weight of guilt and has so few answers for the broken relationships that so often, Lord, entangle our lives. And so we pray as we begin this Advent season, first and foremost, Lord, that, that we, we would be refreshed in the grace of God that has given us through a relationship with Christ. And that, Lord, we would, we would take to heart the promises of forgiveness and stand in the good of those realities as we bring to you, Lord, our faults and our failures and experience the the freedom of a conscience cleansed and the joy of knowing that we are reconciled to God through faith in Christ. We pray, Lord, as well, for those relationships we have with people who need the message of the gospel, that you would give us opportunities through both our care and our conversations to point them to the answer. For you, Lord, have good news to bring to their lives. And we pray you would use us as ambassadors of this grace to point them to the one who came for weary hearts, that we together would worship the perfect Savior, our gracious King. So lead us in that, we pray, Lord, both our reflection and, Lord, our relationships. We pray this in Jesus' name. And Everyone said? Amen.